You're listening to the RUV English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is slash English. Hello, this is the Roof English Podcast. My name is Darren Adam. Thank you as ever very much for your company. And something we like to do on the podcast from time to time is check in with somebody else who has made this amazing country their home, who's come from somewhere else and ended up in Iceland for whatever reason. And today I'd like to investigate some of the reasons of Alex Tyus, who I think is from Leeds originally, aren't you, Alex? Yep, yep, Yorkshire girl. <laughs> and and you have relocated in some style to Isafjörður in the Westfjords, right up in the northwest of the country. So how did that happen, I guess, is where we start. I, I actually think I have to either blame or give praise to my mum. Um, so I I was doing my undergraduate in, in Plymouth in the UK, and she was basically saying, you need to do a master's. You should do a master's. You have to have a master's if you want to do anything. And I was like, right, okay, I'll do a master's. But the deal is I'm not doing it in the UK. Okay. And so we were both sort of looking around and she found this program in the middle of nowhere in Easyville. I've never been to Iceland. I'd never even thought about Iceland. I was looking at a program in Canada and she was like, but what about this one? And and she sort of mentioned it once, and I was like, ah, oh, yeah, maybe, whatever. And then she mentioned it again, and I was like, okay, I'll have a look. And then it was again, and I was like, okay, maybe I'll just look a bit more. And, oh, let's maybe I'll check the tuition fee. And, oh, is that £600? <laughs> like, and we <laughs> called, I called, and I yes. was like, is this is this right? And she said, yes, yeah, that's right, it's And, and just, just compare that with the tuition fee that you would have paid even then in the UK. £4,000. Okay, yeah. so that's less. <laughs> A lot less, <laughs> a lot less, and so yes. my I was in the UK working full time, doing every hours I possibly could for a year, um, and I sort of worked out that I would have to do that for another year to be able to afford to go to Canada. So actually, it was the tuition fee really that sort of there was very similar courses, but I could leave now if I yes. wasn't doing yeah. this one because I can yeah. afford it. And and so I started looking more at the program and and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And this so it's the coastal and marine management program okay. uh, in Easy It's at um, the University Center of the West Fjords, which is part of the University of Akureyri, but I didn't ever go to Akureyri. Um, and yeah, so it was just perfect because it's so broad that mm -hmm. I still didn't have to choose what I wanted to do. Yes. And it <laughs> so is a very like, well-respected, okay. it's a very well-respected course, very well-respected school and university as well. So everything aligned in terms of the availability yeah. and the timing and the cost yeah. as well. But, you know, everything. this was this was eight years ago. So it wasn't just a question of yeah. you going to a cheap course and coming back. You obviously love the place and you've stayed. So let's let's get into that. How long were you studying, firstly? How long was the course? So, really, it's two years. So okay. it, we, do, we do like one year of, of in-class full-time study. And then you get, I don't know, say like one of my friends did it in six months to do the thesis. So I did my thesis in about eight months. And then we graduate the following year or however many years it takes you to finish. And so I always had the plan that I would do my thesis here. And mm. the reason for that is actually probably one of the reasons why I'm still here. And it's because there's so much research that can be done here that's never been done before. And so for my master's thesis, I did something that hasn't been done. Mm. And it was really easy to find something that hasn't been done. So why would I go back to the UK and do something that everyone else is doing, you know? 
my master's thesis was on the management of coastal cultural heritage sites. Um, and I was looking at, um, yeah, how they're managed and how much um, protection they have. And mm. um, also looking at underwater sites and, and if anyone knows about them and, and things like that. And we were also doing some surveys and I joined an archaeologist here who was basically one of the only ones doing this work and, mm. and yeah, got introduced to it that way. And then I sort of recognised this huge gap in the research, which there's it's not just in archaeology. It's like it, in a lot of research, you'll always be able to find a gap that you can sort of insert yourself um, and so that's what happened. And I ended up sort of thinking of possibilities for a PhD. And in between the masters and currently I am doing the PhD. Mm. Um, but in between that, I also was working for a, a study abroad company. Um, and they basically like American students come over and spend three months here. Yeah. Um, and uh, basically doing an undergraduate course so I was sort of in charge of booking teachers and rooms and tra traveling around sure. the country with them and we also went to Greenland and Finland and it was an incredible opportunity and yeah. a great job and then eventually I yeah eventually got into the PhD program and then I got funding and so I quit and I'm now just a full-time student. And there is so much to study where you are obviously but there is so much to enjoy as well so we'll come to your life in Isafiada and what you love about the place, which I suspect is is rather a lot. But I want to just go back to the the start, if I may, when you first came to Iceland, when you first came to Isafiada, you said you had no knowledge of the country, no knowledge of the place. You probably did a bit of research, I guess, before you made the journey. But what were your first thoughts, really, when you arrived? Yeah, I yeah. So I I'd been you know like Google imaging and things like that, and I landed in Keflavik and basically met someone else who was also doing the master's program we hadn't met before but we met up in the airport and mm -hmm. we went straight to the domestic airport i didn't see any of Reykjavik. really i was going to ask I... so so you went straight from one airport straight. to the other and, and flew to east <laughs> <laughs> yeah straight got on this little tiny propeller plane i'd never been on one of those before and we were going over the fjords and I was like, what on earth, <laughs> what on earth am I doing? And we landed. And for anyone who has been on the plane too easy, really, will know that landing is, mm. I'm not scared of planes, so that was fine. But it's incredible because you have these steep mountains just surrounding you. And I mean, I'm from Yorkshire. We have hills, but we don't have, <laughs> you know, steep mountainsides. Um and it was just like incredible. And I was yeah. like, this is like, what am I doing here? And then we got picked up by someone who was organizing the accommodation and he sort of drove us around the fjord. You have to like drive all the way around to get into town. And he yep. was like, oh, there's the ski hill. There's the, there's, you know, there's a tunnel to another place and there's a tunnel to, and we were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then he dropped us at our accommodation in the middle of this town on this airy, and and I was like, right, okay. And then I went into my room and I was like, okay, well, yeah, this is me. I didn't even unpack. I just left again and went for a walk around. And yeah, it was love at first sight. I think, it was, really. okay. So despite the <laughs> yeah. shock, despite the sense of it being so completely different to Yorkshire, obviously, 
And that landing, which I've never done, I've driven into Isafjörda, but I've never flown into Isafjörda. I'd love to at some point, but the opportunity or the need has yet to arise. But yeah, you can see just on a map the location of that runway next to particularly close to one of those hills. That must have been a really dramatic introduction to the country. Uh, yeah. So let's zoom forward to now this is your home. You've put down roots in Isafjörda, obviously. You're continuing to study the place and to study the environment. What tips would you give to somebody coming to and moving to Iceland for the first time? I, I'm actually like, okay, with the way that I did it, just completely clueless and just yeah, turn yeah. up and see see what happens and see if you like it. And I know that for, for people that I moved here with, especially East of the other in particular, because, and maybe place other places in the West Fjords and the East Fjords, the mountains aren't for everyone. Because you do, I know that a lot of people have felt quite claustrophobic. Yes. You're surrounded and in the winter, it's like, especially this time of year, we're stuck here. And so I think you need to have some sort of peace about being stuck and that plans don't always go to plan. No. Well, um, when we met were... for the first time, you and I met in Reykjavik one night when you were stranded because your flight yeah. back to Isafia <laughs> that had been cancelled because of strong winds. That was in May, I think. That wasn't in the dead yeah. of winter. And so I think in the in the winter, I would guess it's about 30% of planes that go maybe less. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I guess it's just having an open mind and also being okay with the fact that this isn't for everyone. And I think I think some people moved here and sort of beat themselves up about not feeling okay. And I, I think that's really important to also consider because Iceland is tough and it is it can be a really tough place, especially in the winter. And then you have the summer, it's constant daylight, which I think is incredible, but it's also not for everyone. So just having an open mind and then being okay with the fact that maybe this isn't you know the the best place for everyone yeah um and then it's also the other things like what to bring with you that's really expensive here but i think that's a that's a common it might yes. be a common yes. theme well for you then it was to... for you it was about love at first sight and very quickly your seemingly random decision to come here was confirmed and you thought yeah this is for me but it could have gone the other way i spoke to an icelandic friend Anita Fjörda, who said that someone else in not dissimilar position to you, someone from England, had come to live in Isafjörda and lasted for six weeks precisely because they felt very claustrophobic with the mountains surrounding the town. And I asked my Icelandic friend Anita Fjörda what he thought, and he said, well, I feel very protected by them. It feels as if the mountains are guarding the town. And there are lots of towns in, in Iceland which have a, a similar kind of aspect, don't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's just differing with people, how you see them. So, I mean, now in the winter, uh, they, they're they a danger, but they mm. also do mm. protect us from some of the storms. But we have avalanches yeah. and floods yeah. and landslides. And we had, a, I think, a landslide a couple of days ago that yeah. blocked off the road and the road was closed. And so I think it's just being wary, but also, I mean... They're incredible. Like if you do, like, I'm just looking out my window, staring mm. at them now. And no matter where you are in town, you can see the mountains. And I don't yeah. think there's very many places where that's the case. No, no, indeed not. And it's a very striking memory that I have of, of the times that I've been in Isafjörda is that you are always within sight of these astonishing features. Certainly, how often do you need to leave 
Isafia there or the surrounding area? I think it varies, but normally after what a, a month, six weeks, I'm like, okay, maybe I'll go to Reykjavik for a weekend. Or like you sort of, because I mean, we have everything that we need here, but realistically, if if you need anything, you know, bigger or like moving house or anything like that, yeah. you need to go to Reykjavik. Uh, or like at least order things so normally we sort of you know pile things up that we need make a little list and then eventually it becomes time that okay we need to go mm-hmm. and I actually think that getting out is is really important because then you sort of appreciate it again when you come back yeah because I love Reykjavik but I couldn't live there and does it feel too big it's I don't even know if it's like too big it's just you know, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of tourists. It's I so I know the play, like I know the center quite well. I don't really know the outskirts, and um, I have spent a lot of time there. Mm. But I'm also really happy when I leave, <laughs> get out and get to our little bubble because it really yeah. does feel like a little bubble up here. Well, you mentioned the constant daylight which you know wherever you are in iceland during the summer that's pretty much what you're going to get obviously the further north you go the more extreme that's going to be i think i'm very much someone well i know i'm very much someone who would respond to the constant darkness very positively in isafiora that's what i like i really like the icelandic winter i've never done an icelandic summer so i'm wondering what it's going to be like when it is bright nearly 24 hours a day it's even brighter of course where you are what is that like in the summer then a lot of people absolutely love the fact that during the summer it's bright almost all the time i do i do love it but i also at the end of the summer when it's starting to get dark i realize how tired i am because you mm-hmm. you just you know like you wake up in the morning and it's bright and sunny and so you're like oh, okay i'll get up i mean it's obviously not bright and sunny all the time that's not true but it's bright it's bright <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you go to bed and it's still sort of bright and we have like i have good blackout curtains so it's okay and but it takes you a while for your brain to sort of shut down so I feel like I'm waking up earlier I'm going to bed later and that's fine because it's sunny and it keeps you awake but when it starts to get dark and you sort of realize you've probably had lack of sleep for about three months um then I really like going into the winter months and when it starts to get dark and you can start to you know sort of hunker down and get cozy but I, I can remember my first experience, like my first summer. So I arrived in August, I think late August, my first year. And so it was bright, obviously, but it wasn't anything like June. Um, And so the next year, I remember going to the bar, coming out at 3 a.m. or something, and it being like sunny. And I was like, wow. <laughs> like, what? Because you've really, obviously, it's it's been sunny and you it's progressive like it's not just one day but there's always a time in the winter and in the summer where you're like oh my god it's dark like oh my god it's sunny um and it hits you like quickly and then it's mm. then it's like a really i don't know nice feeling yes. i guess and of course it does shift famously if you don't like the weather in iceland just wait 20 minutes and it will change if you don't like the amount of sunlight then wait six months and it will <laughs> change exactly. dramatically if, for sure yeah. <laughs> How have you found the language? You've been here for eight years. I think being in a place is obviously going to be of assistance when it comes to learning the language of that place. Have you found that? I I haven't, but I've also realised that I'm not good with languages and it's nothing on 
the place or the environment or being here, I've just struggled myself. And I also realized that I need to put my time and effort and and so whilst I can have, you know, a general conversation, I don't feel like I've lost the confidence, you know, to to be able to speak more. Mm-hmm. And did you have that? You say you've lost it. Does that mean you had it in Icelandic or you mean that you don't have the confidence that you obviously have in English? I think I was growing more in confidence. And then I started, uh, the you know, like things keep coming up and then my focus shifts elsewhere. So I started the PhD and then that was, you know, took over my life and I was figuring that out. And then Icelandic took a second, second place. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's still, that's still been the case and it's completely, you know, my own fault and I'm okay with that, I guess. But it does take a lot of effort, especially if, you know, you're not bilingual originally, which I think a lot of people from England are not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think in in the UK, and I certainly found this, and I think back to my time at school, maybe the situation was maybe a little better for you, I don't know, but we're really bad at this. We're really, really bad at at teaching kids other languages very early in life, which is exactly the time when you ought to be doing it. And then when it comes to your adult life, when you're trying to learn a new language on top of also doing, you know, other studies and other things, I feel like my brain's just gone like, no. (laughs) I I always wish that I'd learned or indeed been taught German at school, because I think that gives you a great grounding in Icelandic because of the case system. No, and I do have a lot of German friends. I I don't know why. I just have a lot of German (laughs) friends. There's a lot of Germans who live in East Vila as well. Um, and yeah, they have an easier time, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And but I also think, yes, if you're gonna move here, you need to really like take the time and effort to put in to the language because it's tough. And uh, I'm definitely not gonna say, Oh no, it's you know, it's easy, I have no problem. But it's rewarding too, because true. people I know who've learned the language say that it obviously accesses and opens up so many opportunities to be even more a part of Icelandic society. The upsides are huge. The wins are massive, aren't they, if you can pull them off? Yeah, yeah, I think they really are because it's also quite a strange situation here because I came to do the master's programme and I stayed behind, obviously, and then there's other students who also stay behind and so we have this whole community of students and... I do have Icelandic friends, but the majority of my friends are other foreigners who've moved here. And I think that that is the case for quite a lot of people that move because you sort of just fit into the groups of similar people. Mm. And so, yeah, we're all these strange, strange sort of outdoorsy people that have moved too easy for them for like, no, you know, like we get along because we have something in common. And so I think speaking Icelandic would also open doors to, to meeting more Icelandic people. Well, we are hoping, and I don't know when this episode is going to go out, whether it will be before or after, but we're hoping to speak to the director of the music festival, Aldre Forig Suder, which is, yeah. of course, the Westfjords music festival. It translates as literally Never Went I South. I Never Went South. And it, it takes its mm-hmm. name from a Bumi Morton song of the same name. So the idea is that it's about saying there's lots of stuff happening in the Westfjords. You don't need to go to Reykjavik. I wonder whether you've been to or enjoyed that festival at all in the past many times many yeah. times <laughs> yeah uh yeah it's great like it's so much fun so the town goes from what i think 2800 ish people that live here up to like five six thousand of over that weekend it's madness there's like people on every sofa um 
but it's great and it's really good fun and you can enjoy it no matter what level of Icelandic you speak you know there's there's always something for everyone and it's just it's great to just get out and also see people that you might not have seen for a while because everyone's sort of hiding away over winter and yeah. Easter is when we all sort of start to emerge and there's things going on in town and there's the ski a uh, big ski race as well yeah which attracts people from all over the world um because it's a qualifier for the world championship i don't know world championship possibly cross-country skiing it's huge and so easter just like the town wakes up from this long slumber of a winter well like i say by the time this conversation goes out we may well have spoken to the director of that festival audrey fording through the i never went south so that will either have happened or it'll be something to look forward to here on the roof english podcast service alex thank you very much for your time very much appreciated and you are plainly loving life in east of the other i am yeah thank you for having me very welcome and thank you very much for your time alex tyres my guest today on the roof english podcast and if you want to get in touch with roof english at any time we are on email english at ruv.is you're listening to the roof english podcast to hear more and for all the news from iceland in english just head to ruv.is english